Hey, Winston, how you doing? Pretty good, Charles. Actually, I've got a question for you. Fire away. Well, last we spoke, we talked about how it's crucial for businesses to set the right foundations before attempting to scale their operations and expand into new markets. And we determined that making sure that everything revolves around the customer is a solid building block to begin with. That's right. But what are some concrete ways businesses can build on top of that? I mean, knowing your customer and centering every decision you make as a business is a given, I think, for any budding startup. But once a business has that baked into its DNA, how can you turn that knowledge about your customer into concrete business success? That's a great question. And as promised, I've got some thoughts to share from someone who I caught up with recently, whose experience illustrates just that. But before we get into it, how about we bring in the show? Don't mind if I do. Welcome to Unstoppable Expansion, a podcast by Tech in Asia and GP where we're going to discuss some of the strategies every business needs to know to be able to thrive in any economic climate. I'm Winston Tang, Managing Editor of Tech in Asia Studios. And I'm Charles Ferguson, APAC General Manager of GP. For the benefit of those who didn't hear this in the last episode, here's a very short excerpt from my conversation with Dorothy Yu, co-founder of Singapore-based employee insight and engagement platform, Engage Rocket. You know, the evolution of our business really started because I was given this advice very early on by this businessman. That was even before Engage Rocket was founded. You know, if you want to start a business, an idea is not good enough. It's <laughs> <That's> good advice. <laughs> yeah. You need to have an advantage, an edge, be it, you know, uh, connections to markets that other people don't or uh, very deep expertise and know-hows that other people don't so that you can actually solve a problem better than anybody else, right? An idea is just not going to guarantee that success Honestly, it's hard not to agree with that. Even if you have a golden idea for a business, it might still fail if you don't have a competitive edge, the right go-to-market strategy, or the best talent. That's exactly right. And the reason I bring up Dorothy in relation to your question about what businesses can do beyond just knowing their customer in the pursuit of business success is that Engage Rocket has a presence in over 16 countries around the world with each market as different as the next. And Dorothy and her co-founder, CT, have had to navigate that to ensure their expansion efforts weren't for nothing. Well, I mean, that's amazing. How did they go about that? Well, before we talk about that, we first need to understand a little bit about Engage Rocket and what it does. I'll let Dorothy kick us off and tell that story. So CT, my co-founder and I, I mean, we met as ex-colleagues, right? So we were both heading up the regional business for a global HR consulting firm back then. And it was during our time there servicing, you know, Fortune 500 companies that we actually saw the gap that Engage Rocket solves today. So we're servicing HR, right? And we felt that fundamentally HR as a department serves a very strategic value uh, to any organization, you know, big, small, medium, doesn't matter which industry you're in, as long as you hire people. HR brings that strategic value because it is managing, you know, the most valuable asset that organization has, it's people. But yet, you know, unlike marketing, unlike procurement or even sales, data was just not used enough. You know, the right data wasn't collected and actually data just not used enough in general in a lot of the people decisions that were being made. Actually, a lot of them were still being made using gut feel. So when we looked at the consulting model, it has its merits, but we felt that technology was really the missing piece, you know, in HR, you know, using data and analytics more. So I gather that Dorothy and CT developed a solution to be able to address that issue and it just took off from there? 
Not quite. Remember in Dorothy's own words, an idea isn't good enough. Engage Rocket didn't just magically launch in 16 countries overnight. It took a lot of hard work. Okay, so how did the company go about achieving that? Well, before setting their sights on the world, Dorothy knew that Engage Rocket had to first conquer home ground. We wanted to have the confidence that we could win in our home country first, before even thinking about, you know, going beyond Singapore to other markets and other regions. So it probably took us around two years. We started in 2016 and we formally looked at market expansion in around 2018, late 2017, early 2018. And we were very deliberate about the decision because there were still a lot of valuable lessons that we needed to learn. And we wanted to build a company with a core DNA that, you know, that centered around really listening to the feedback of our early customers. We wanted to build a product that solves real needs, right? Not just or something that sounds good and exciting. You know, you slap on, I mean, the typical stuff, you slap on AI, you slap on like, oh, people analytics and then people get excited about it. We wanted to really hear the pain points of our early customers and keep innovating and keep improving so that we can actually diversify and serve a larger set of uh, customers. So we wanted the foundation to be laid and and also because we are a young startup, right? So we have limited resources. So we, we felt that between speed to market versus having more insights on the space that was evolving and slowly maturing, we felt that the latter was more important to us. So once the team had achieved concrete success on home turf, it was then time to set their sights on expansion. But the question arose of where would Engage Rocket set foot first? We wanted to understand a few you know, so to speak, criteria, right? You know, when we look at the different markets, that we have already existing advantage in those markets. For example, pre-existing, you know, privileged relationships, or we have familiarity with how, you know, procurement make their decisions, or do we already have a few customers that were in market that may have came organically? And the other thing we wanted to look at is the size of market. You know, how big it is, what is the TEM, SAM, SOM, you know, uh, you know, the typical things that you want to size up. And then on the challenges side, we also want to understand, is there any natural barriers? Like, okay, is language going to be a problem? Asia is like, how big is just countless languages, right? But from a business language perspective, can we still use English, right? Because, you know, translation is just going to be another whole challenge that we would need to take up. Um, and they have very strict data protection rules. So we kind of made a list of sort of criteria and kind of rated every market that we looked at. And based on that, uh, what made sense to us at that point of time was actually Indonesia. Ah, uh, Indonesia. What's not to love? Exactly. It's got a huge population, a mature startup ecosystem a ton of investors, and so much more than that. That said, it's still no easy feat for a startup to enter the Indonesian market, especially one coming from Singapore. And Dorothy and her team wanted to be doubly sure before making any big moves. So what we did is we hosted an Engage Rocket branded event in Indonesia. Now, we're not new to hosting our own events. We were doing it in Singapore already. And to paint the context in Singapore, we would host like an Engage Rocket event, maybe bring in like 30, 40 HR decision makers or influencers, kind of host a panel and so on and so forth. So the mandate to our marketing team was do something similar in Indonesia, right? We wanted to actually, we were like, you know, less about how many people will turn up? I was telling them like, if 20 people, 25 people turn up, that's good enough. Because what I wanted to is to have direct organic conversations with this potential buyers to understand if the value proposition that we were bringing to the market resonated with them, right? And I wanted to see if these can then translate into actual 
prospect conversations after that. So they had like three, four weeks to put the event together. And then within the first week of marketing that event, we had 200 signups, right? Close to 200. So we, Whoa. Yeah, we had to like awesome. tap it off. And so we were quite surprised, you know, pleasantly surprised at the overwhelming response, which gave us, and we had to change venue twice. This was pre-COVID. So it's right on. in person, um, we're scrambling. My team was freaking out because like, oh, you know, how are we going to accommodate all these people? <laughs> That's great. Good problem. Yeah, that validated that there was demand, right? There was definitely demand and interest in the market. And ultimately, I think about 120, 150 people showed up to the actual event. And that also led to a lot of meaningful conversation post-event. And that was how you know, ultimately we decided on Indonesia as the first market. And so began Engage Rocket's expansion. But very quickly, the team realized how different of a beast Indonesia was compared to Singapore. So you rightly pointed out, right, that Indonesia is a relatively big market. You know, it's, you know, there's actually a lot of companies there. And, that, you know, people often think that, oh, it may not have the appetite to pay, but actually that's not true. No, not true. Absolutely. You do have pretty sizable budgets, especially for the larger organizations. Absolutely. But what was key is that even though the top of funnel might be very big, Indonesia as a market itself for SaaS adoption, maturity, it's relatively low, right? So they respond very well to our, you know, our content marketing, our thought leadership pieces, because that's what we needed to nurture a relatively immature market. But for Indonesia, we very quickly found out that the playbook to win was to cut through that overwhelming positive responses that we, we've gotten, including that event that we hosted, right? With 200 signed up. How do we cut through those interests to actually finding that very few buyers who have the willingness to pay and the maturity to understand the value that your product is bringing. And for a market like Indonesia, that will be through connections, right? So then we found out that the playbook is to cut through the noise effectively in the shortest amount of time, we needed to hire for local connections. So you prioritize people with seniority and connections to directly to decision makers, even less so for you know the experience in maybe tech or B2B SaaS. You know, you deprioritize that, but prioritize their connections, right? Because then very quickly, they are able to then get insights through a phone call, right? Or through a coffee chat, whether or not that interest can actually lead to a genuine buying decision. So that qualifying conversation that needed to happen often happens very organically in those casual conversations. Wow, that is some detail on their customers. Hey, knowledge is half the battle as we established in the last episode. But what struck me about Engage Rocket is that this isn't just a mindset the company ditched once it got to a certain level of growth. Right now, the company's working on breaking into the U.S. market, and they still employ the same strategies to determine what's the best go-to-market strategy. And what they found out is the U.S. couldn't be more different than Indonesia as a market. So now we're trying to break into the U.S. market. And U.S. stats market is the biggest in the world. I mean, if you look at stats, they, I think... U.S. contributes to over 60% of the global B2B SaaS spend, right? The second part is Europe, and Europe contributes about 20 plus percent. So, you know, between the first and second, it's like three times bigger than the second largest market. It's incredible. But the difference between U.S. and, you know, a country like Indonesia is that you don't really need pre-existing conversation. They will have a conversation with you, right? But because it's relatively more mature, what that meant is you have a lot more players, right? So competition is a lot tougher. So then the, the key to 
US was less about, oh, we need to find the right person locally that has the right connection. It was more about how do we come up with a strategy that will help us rise above, you know, and stand out, you know, in the sea of players to get the attention of companies and to build trust in a very quick manner such that they will then continue the conversation with us because we are relatively unknown. With every market entry, you're basically going in cold. Like nobody knows your name, nobody knows your brand name. You know, you can bring up uh, customer logos that they might be familiar with, but they don't know you, right? So for US, we found out after I think two quarters was that, okay, we really need to cut through the noise and stand out and find a way to connect directly with potential buyers in a less salesy way. And for us, it's like, you know, inviting them for joint thought leadership pieces, right? Or inviting them to do a podcast like this, right? You know, I want to hear your thoughts. Just kind of a more indirect way to then build a relationship and then build trust so that they can then carry on the conversation and hopefully move down your sales funnel. That's interesting, especially the part she mentioned about showing the logos of client companies. I would have imagined that association with known names would bring some level of trust into the conversation. Yeah, that might work in a less mature market. But when you're talking about the United States, having clients in the big leagues doesn't exactly set you apart, as Dorothy explains. I think because US is a very, uh, probably the most mature market, right? When it comes to buying software for businesses, it's very clear cut. They're very clear about what they are looking for. They know exactly, you know, the value that you're bringing. Uh, they know the feature set. It's, it's not even a, I think very much in Southeast Asia, when we are pitching, we have to explain a little bit, right? You have to kind of go value-based selling and, you know, do less feature-based selling, you know, uh, really explain, you know, what is the problem that we can solve for you kind of use their language to sell to them, the HR language to sell to them. But in the US, it's very different. You know, they get features, they understand, you know, very immediately how it works. So then it becomes a really tight or close fight because then you're kind of going feature to feature comparison with some of the competitors. So how do we kind of shape our unique value proposition was what we had to work on. And almost to the extent that uh, we needed to prepare our product team to innovate even faster, right? Is we're already innovating very quickly for Southeast Asia, but expectation in the US to stand out is so high. It's so high, yeah. right? Because there are new companies popping up every day, right? And the tech talent there is definitely strong, right? So in a lot of ways, we have to move very quickly. We have to be very agile. And that's also partly why this year, my co-founder is also relocated. So he has moved to the US to have one founder in market just so that we can make quicker decision, be closer to the action and hopefully stand a chance of cracking this large SaaS market in the US. Okay, I think I'm getting it a little bit more. Prioritizing your customer based on everything you can find out about them is one thing, but businesses also need to do intensive research on what's already available when it comes to the solutions they are hawking or risk getting beaten to the punch by the competition. I couldn't have said it better myself. That feels like a lot though. How does one even begin to grasp all of that? Well, you got to do the lead work and get on the ground. I think one thing that we always kind of fall back on is, you know, as you're kind of entering the market, just be shameless about asking for coffee chats, right? Any connection that you have, like let's say we're entering the US market, like anyone that we know that remotely has some experience or has some connection in the US, we're like, oh, can we just buy you a cup of coffee? And, and I think those coffee chats is... Actually, it's critical, right? Because 
every coffee chat will say that at the end, like, is there any other people I can speak to, right? And that's how you build your early network. Absolutely. And that's also how you can potentially find your first hire, right? I think that that's actually our first hire in the US, our VP of growth that we found and he's, you know, he's been performing great so far, right? He's been phenomenal. Was actually through all this or let me connect you to this person, then connect me to that person. And then we ultimately got connected to him to build partnerships. Makes sense. Getting the right person to kickstart operations is definitely crucial to ensuring success in any scaling startup. Bingo, you got that right. How about beyond that first hire in the market though? How do you hire and then ensure that you're bringing the right people on board who can drive your company to success? Well, a friend of mine might have something to say to that. I do think we shouldn't think talent as an isolated topic. In an ideal world, it needs to come from the top, meaning the vision and the mission of the company. Right? So where do we want to go? Why we are here? And that would be very, very different across different organizations. But I think it needs to start from there. Okay, hearing a different voice probably means we're going to only dive into that in the next episode, right? Right as always, Winston. So to cap this off, I hope you, you the listener, enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure to follow us for more episodes of Unstoppable Expansion, where Winston and I will dive into some of the strategies every business needs to know to be able to thrive in any economic climate. And if you like us enough or have any thoughts on this episode, make sure to let us know by giving us five stars and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And of course, if you are a business leader in thinking of or in the process of scaling your business and you'd like to know more about how we at GP can help you in your expansion endeavors, please make sure to visit our website at www.g-p.com. Until next time, I'm Charles Ferguson. And I'm Winston Zhang. And we'll catch you next time.